listening to the International Family Church Podcast. Our ministry philosophy can be summed up in one statement. It's not about building a great church. It's about building a great people. And we do this through our regular weekend services, life groups that meet throughout the week, and helping people connect to their God-given purpose. To find out our service times, how you can get involved, and other ways to connect with us, please visit intlfamilychurch.com for more information. Now here's today's message. Are you ready for today's message? I'm excited about it. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. It's Vision Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. What an honor it is for me to be able to cast vision today, to be able to share what you deposited in my heart. And Father, I thank you that it will come out exactly how you want it to for this specific service. And we believe, Father God, that that what comes forth today will be a blessing. It'll help us. It'll expand us, enlarge us, change us for your honor and for your glory. And Father, we are so glad that you love us way too much to leave us the way we are. You're always wanting us to improve and be better. For that, we're grateful. So make this time profitable and good for us. Thank you, Father God, for your word that it falls on good ground today and produces good fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Vision Sunday, where this is your first Vision Sunday or your 37th Vision Sunday. Welcome to Vision Sunday. And, And you need to know why we do this every January. And here's why we do what we do. Vision Sunday is all about communicating what we want to see God do in you, not what you can do for us. Now that's a very important statement to to us, and especially to me. This is really one of our philosophies as a church, something that's embedded in us, something that we eat, drink, and sleep, something that's very important to us. You know, I've been brought up in the church all my life. Both my grandfathers were ministers. My dad pastored three different churches. And so I understand Christians. I understand church. I understand different kinds of churches. And I can honestly say to you that not every church um, has a desire to make sure what's in you comes to pass. A lot of churches will give vision to say, now you help us get this done. We want to we use you to help us. Um, and that's not our purpose. That's not how we think. Truly today is all about communicating what we want to see God do in you. Amen. Are you ready to find out what God wants to do in you this year? Amen. For you to be empowered, for you to be encouraged, for you to be better because of this vision. One of the, one of the translations about vision says that it's, it's a revelation, meaning it needs to be redemptive. And redemptive things are for other people. Redemptive things, yeah, we get to benefit from it, but when, when it's redemptive, it improves, it helps, it changes people's lives. Let's read that verse, uh, Proverbs 29. It's a great verse. It's my favorite verse and one of the, probably the key verse about vision in the Bible. 20, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, my translation says no revelation, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Amen. I like to say it this way. Vision is a restrainer. Vision is the guardrail along the side of the road. Think about that. What's a guardrail for? 
Man, when you're traveling on a highway, you're traveling around a mountain pass, you're traveling through maybe uh, windy areas, it's good to have guardrails, right? Guardrails do what? Protect. What else? Keep us safe, right? Keep us on the right road. Keep us from going over a cliff, going where the road is not good for us. It helps us stay on the right path. So that's what vision does. Vision is a restrainer. Vision, amen, is like guardrails on a highway. So yes, vision lets you know what you will do, but it also lets you know what you will never do. Vision keeps you from going where you're not graced to go. For example, if you have a vision for your finances and and you say, you know what, I want to have six months of income in reserve. So that's your desire. You say, what do I have to do to make that happen? You say, well, I, I need to get out of debt. I got to work harder to get out of debt, or I need to, I need to max out my 401k3 every year, or I need, to, I need to make this investment, or I need to buy this real estate, or I need to get control of this or that. So with that vision, with that goal, you've also said something very important. You said, I will not be paying $1,000 a month for a car payment. Right? I don't care how cool that car is. And you know you'd look really good in it too. Right? But vision is a restrainer. It says, no, that's not my goal. As cool as that might be, and maybe someday that car, but I, I am more convinced that I need to be financially sound. And you say, man, I've got vision, so I won't go where I don't need to go. Right? Shout, I've got vision. Maybe you have some vision and some desire for a great marriage. And because you have a vision for a marriage, there are certain things you will do and certain things you will never do. And you determine in your heart, man, I want to date my wife more this year. We're, we're going we're gonna to go away somewhere uh, to, to be alone. And we're going to celebrate each other. I'm gonna treat, we're going to treat each other like the gift God made each other to be, right? And so because that's your vision, you realize I am not going to compromise this marriage in any way in Jesus' name. Why? Because you have vision. Shout, I've got vision. And see, when you have vision, you recognize and you realize that there are certain things we will do and certain things we will not do. So if you have vision, you are restrained. And I know Habakkuk tells us to write that vision down and all that pass by and read it will be able to run. But man, isn't it better to run with some guardrails so you don't run into a tree or some obstacle. So vision is that restrainer so that when it is time to run, you've got the specific path to be able to run on, and that is so important. Verse 18 told us, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. What that means is people often, and far too often we want to admit we wander aimlessly. We kind of bump into this and see if that works. And we go over here and bump into that. That might seem like a good idea. We bump into that and it's like, let's make a deal. Is it behind door number one or door number two or door number three? And usually we pick the donkey, <laughs> right? And that's no way to live your life. And it's very frustrating and it angers you. And you, you realize, man, this isn't right. I, why can't I figure this out? And why can't I, I find and declare and know, you know the path that I should walk in? And so without a clear direction, without clear pathway, we bump along um, and we hurt ourselves and we stub our toes and we, we bang into things 
and it's just not God's best. For example, if you have no clear vision for a relationship, right, you will date way before you're emotionally and, and prepared character-wise to be able to do that, Amen. right? And without a clear vision for a relationship, sometimes you'll just kind of almost go out with anybody. Why? Because you've cast off restraint. You don't have a vision. And somebody who has a vision says, hey, I'm not going out with you. You're still living in your mother's basement. <laughs> right? No, no, I'm not going out with you. I need a man who has a job and his mom is not washing his underwear. <laughs> right? You say, huh, I will not sleep with you. I've got a vision. I will not move in with you. I've got a vision. Shout with me. I've got vision. Do you see how important vision is? It expands your horizon. It makes you stand up tall. It makes you feel good about yourself. You add value to yourself. You add value to know that God put this in your heart. And, and it's the, the guardrails and the restrainer, amen, to say, you know what? Others may, I may not. And you realize that and you understand that. And it brings you great value, amen. But here's my concern. And I read this quote sometime back. And as soon as I read it, I, I put it in my phone because I knew I'd have to use this quote sometime. That happens quite often. And here's my concern. And really, D.L. Moody, who was a past famous evangelist, 1800 to 1841, he didn't live very long, but man, he impacted the world. And here's what he said. I couldn't say it any better, so I'll quote him. Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Wow. Man, that impacted me like it did you. You might want to write that down. Our greatest fear should not be failure. It should be what would happen if I fail in my job or if I fail in my career. As concerning as it is, it should be more concerning. What? That you, you don't want to succeed at something that really doesn't matter. What good would it be to be wildly successful at something that in the end doesn't really matter? Didn't really change anybody's life didn't really make an impact, didn't really advance God's agenda in the, in the world. Wow. See, the greatest thing that should happen and understand that what matters at the end are those things that are attached to eternity. What matters is, are, are the people that you introduce to Jesus. What matters is the, the relationships that enriched our lives and made us better. What matters at the end are the, the children and grandchildren that we raised to serve God. What matters are the people that, that you helped and you allowed to help you. What matters is the money you used to invest and sow and make a difference in, in God's plan around the world. And what matters is the legacy that you leave. See, that's the stuff that matters. That's the stuff we should be focusing on. Those are the things that we should be considering and making sure that, that our lives and our desires um, are, are, are growing and, and being the best that we can be. I'm not saying all the other things are bad. Man, build your company and go to the school of your choice and, and make those investments and do all those things that you so desire in your heart. But in the process of doing all that, make sure that you are fully aware that your life should count and that the things we do and the lifestyles that we choose Open the door so we can be accomplishing things that really matter in life. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. Amen. Here's God's ultimate vision for your life. 
You've, we've read this countless times here at IFC. And it's, it's God's ultimate vision for you. John 10, 10. Love the Amplified Version. It says this, Jesus speaking, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. We know that's true. He's tirelessly at it, working at it 24-7, right? Very committed to it. But Jesus is also committed to something 24-7. Amen. This is what Jesus says. He goes on to say, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's God's ultimate vision for you. That should be the verse on your refrigerator. That should be on your vision board. That should be what you believe God for and thank God for every day. Amen. So we took God's ultimate vision for your life and we fashioned our mission to make sure we do our part to help you understand that through Jesus, you have life. Great to recognize that. But that you also take it a step further and you enjoy that life. Amen. Are you enjoying the life Jesus died for you. So every time you walk through these double doors, right there, listen on the wall. Every time you go up the steps into the cafe and kids world area, you see it on the wall. Amen. And we've took this life-giving statement and we declared and we are, we know we exist to help you do what? Four things. Say it with me. It's just that simple. Amen. We work hard at this. We spend countless hours on a regular basis in leadership meetings. How do we help our congregation know God? How do we help them find freedom? How do we help them discover their purpose? And how do we help them make a difference? And and that is our mission. We eat, drink, and sleep this. It is our purpose. It is what makes us come alive. It's our motivation. These are our guardrails. These are what focuses us. And anything that doesn't line up with these four, we don't do. There's a lot of great things that do in the world, but we can't do it all. Like you can't do it all. Amen. And that's why we as a church exist. Now notice again, and I can't emphasize this enough. Jesus said, I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. Now I wonder if you can answer the question today, is your life marked by abundance? Is there a fullness about your life? No, I'm not saying that you don't ever wake up tired and wish you could go back to sleep. I'm not saying that you don't wake up and one day, man, the difficulties just are overwhelming. You feel depressed. Your thoughts in your head are not really very healthy. I'm not saying you don't go through seasons of difficulty and seasons where you doubt. I mean, and, and doubt seems to rule the day. I'm not saying that none of that doesn't happen because every bit of that happens in my own life. But in the midst of all that, you recognize, I know why I'm here. In the midst of that, you understand I'm here for a purpose. I know why I'm on planet Earth. I know why God gave me life. I know why I'm alive now and not 20 years ago or, or 20 years in the, in the future. I know why I'm alive now because God put purpose on the inside of me. So you can be in the midst of the most challenging times of your life, but still be full, still know why you're here, still be able to walk in abundance. Amen. You see, so in the midst of all that, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the doubts, your overall attitude can still be, my life is full. Now, if that's not your attitude, I want to suggest that you have not yet tapped into God's vision for your life. 
Listen, you can have that kind of life. It's available to every one of us. Amen. And we want to help you take the next step into God's vision for your life. Amen. So what is our focus this year? What is the mandate for International Family Church this year? I want to say this first, that I believe this is probably the most challenging mandate we have ever received. I believe this is the most challenging by far. Our mandate for 2019 is simply this, the courage to connect. The courage to connect. You might not get it just yet, but when I explain it to you, you're going to understand exactly where I'm coming from. This past November, early December, as this phrase was rolling around in my heart, I knew that it wasn't going away. When I know that it's happening, I, I need to sit up and pay attention, and I take it to prayer, and I was at my desk uh, in my home office and, and just kind of meditating on this phrase, the courage to connect. And here's what I wrote down um, on a pad of paper on my, on my desk. I said that, I wrote this. Our mandate is to create an environment that challenges all of us to move beyond ourselves, to let down our walls, remove our masks, and to step out from behind the comfort of our digital screens and have the courage to cultivate true friendships and a deeper level of freedom. I said, Lord, I'll sign up for that. I'll sign up for that. Amen. And this, these statements have formed in me um, something that I want to share with you to help us get to this place. This is not something that happens in one message. This will take some time. This will take some courage. Um, and, and, and we will walk in God's highest and best. And so connection is going to be the major focus for IFC in this next year. Interesting that James, in James chapter 3, James inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said something that really got my attention, knowing how challenging and difficult this mandate is. Here's what James said in James 3.18. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results. Only if, look what it says, you do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating each other with dignity and honor. Even James knew this was hard. Even James knew this was going to be difficult. Even James said, this is not going to be an easy thing. This is going to be one of the hardest things you've ever tried to do. Amen. Even James recognized, and, and here we are in the 21st century, and it was hard back then. How much harder is it now? Amen. To work together, to do this, to have a robust uh, community here at IFC, and to have a level of connection like we've never had before. I want to answer the question today, why connecting really matters? Why connecting really matters? Now, you might be saying today, why do you want to go there? I'm happy all by myself. I like being a loner. I tried that connecting stuff. It's not fun. It hurts. It makes me mad. It frustrates me. People are a piece of work. Why would you want to mess that up? Why would you want to take me where I don't want to go? Why would you even mess around with my ability to control my own environment? Why would you want to do that? You might be thinking today, maybe now you are because I mentioned it. Well, welcome to church. Are we going to go there? Absolutely. 
Amen. Amen. God has divine connections lined up for our life. There is power in connection. Connections lead to life. Amen. When a husband and wife come together, what happens? A child is born. When a, when a, a, a seeker who is open to God and his spirit or her spirit connects with the spirit of God, what happens? New birth takes place. When a fellow follower of Christ, when they come together in unity, Psalm 133 tells us God commands his blessing there. When the disciples came together on the day of Pentecost, what happened? There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All because of what? Connecting. Connections. Anytime you see something significant happening in the Bible, anytime there was a breakthrough, a healing, anytime there was a city won, anytime there was a, a life change, they were all because somebody connected with God. Connection produces power. Connection produces life. Life that wasn't even there. Life that wasn't there. When you gave your life to Christ, one second, you were not a new creation. In a moment, you became a brand new creation in Christ. Something that did not exist in a moment of time existed. All because of connection. Now think about this. If you were the devil and you know and you knew what I just said was true, what would you do? Or you would divide, right? Wouldn't you? You would disconnect. Why? Because the devil fears connection. He knows what happened when we connect. He knows what happens when all the ethnic groups come together. He knows what happens when believers come together. He knows what happens when people of all different economic things come together. People from every kind of background and, and, and work environment um, and, and those that, that are, are, are you know, different mindsets and so forth. The devil knows when we come together, he fears it. His ultimate aim is to cut us off from God, to split up marriages and split up friendships and divide churches and isolate people. And although our culture has never been seemingly more connected than ever before through Facebook and other online services, people are more isolated and more lonely than ever. I believe loneliness is actually a pandemic in America. I talk to people all the time. It's what I do what I do for a living. And I've never, see, I've never heard more frustration, more hopelessness, more the feeling of disconnection and not knowing what to do about it and how to fix it and what the next steps might be. Our fast moving lives have wrecked havoc in relationships and we don't feel nearly as connected as the people that just a generation ago felt much more connected than we are. Yet we were created for relationship. Right? Even though we are the most disconnected group of people, while we have all this connect, connect, the technology to connect us, we've got to go back to God's design. God's original design was for connection. In fact, he said it from the very beginning in Genesis. He said what? It's not good for man to be alone. He knew that we needed connection. He knew that humans were not made for isolation. Humans were not made to be separated. We were made for connection. Why? Because we were created in God's image. And the Bible says God is love. And to love, you have to have somebody to love. How do you love unless you're connected? How do you carry on the nature of God unless you're connected? How does inspiration happen unless we have the courage to say yes to that connection? As your pastor, I feel extremely responsible this year to help alleviate 
some of your disconnection, to give you the tools and the inspiration and, and, and the strategy to, 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 to connect or to help you take that next step in your new journey of connection and to help you connect on a deeper level. Amen. See, I have no doubt that you would agree today that connecting really does matter. But why don't we? I think if we could all just agree, yeah, in theory, yes, we need to connect. But why don't we? I'm sure there are many of you that the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you about going to a deeper level of connection. I don't doubt it. It's uncanny how many people come to me after a Sunday, three services, and somebody says, man, were you in my bedroom last week? Did you hear me on, in my, on my knees crying out to God? Did you hear my frustration and I was talking to a friend or talking to God or, or what have you? It never fails. I have to believe if God is taking us down this road, he's been dealing with you too. About a deeper level of connection with your family, with God and with others and with your church and with the freedom that belongs to you. Absolutely. The mandate this year is the courage to say yes. The courage to say yes to connection. So what keeps us from saying yes to the things that we know God wants us to do? Well, there are many things. You could list them as well as I can. I listed a few, fear, worry, anxiety, right? Hopelessness, depression, insecurity, anger, uh, confusion, apathy, indifference, who cares? All of these things would be in the way to keep us from going to a deeper level of connection, from keeping us from saying yes. But there are three Three major obstacles. I like that how I said three. Um, there are th you didn't catch that, did you? There are three. <laughs> there are three. Uh, these things I notice when I'm preaching. Amen. Um, there are three major obstacles to this mandate. Three obstacles that stand in the way. Three obstacles that we're going to have to deal with head on. Three obstacles that absolutely would we could we could say, man, man, that, that that's too hard to overcome. The first one is feelings and emotions, we'll call drama. Drama stops us from connecting. We're done with you. You're so dramatic. You always make a fuss. You're always so all over the map, right? And we non-drama people want to tell you drama kings and queens, take a vacation. Have a sabbatical. Take a break from being dramatic. So that's number one. The second thing that stands in the way, the biggest obstacle, are our masks, the masks we wear. What is a mask? A mask is something that covers up the real us, and we all wear these masks. We don't want to reveal the real us for, for many reasons. And the third obstacle that stands in the way is busyness. But one of these three, I believe, personally, stands out way above the rest. All these three need to be addressed, and they will. But there's one of these three that I want to address today that I believe really is the root cause of why it's so hard to say yes, and that's busyness. Busyness. We can all relate to a busy life. The default answer to, how are you? Busy. How are you? So busy. How are you? Crazy busy. Right? Man, it's a default thing that we say all the time. You want to get together? Well, you know, I'm so busy. You want to do that? Well, I'm crazy busy. And man, it's just, it's just the thing that we seem to say. And we are all bought into this thing that we are just so busy and crazy busy. 
You may have heard some of these new terms to describe all this. It's called time-starved, time-poor, time-scarcity, time-poverty, time-famine, time-pressure, leisure gap, cult of busyness, and being way over-scheduled. We feel like we're pressed for time. We don't have enough time, or we are running out of time. And I'm sure you've noticed, like I have, that our time has not changed. Amen. We still have 24 hours a day, don't we? Yeah. Nothing has changed. We still have 24 hours a day. Thank God for many modern conveniences that, that have helped shave some time off our busy schedule. You know, washer and dryers and dishwashers, right? Microwaves and the new rave Instapot. <laughs> and there's some of you that just are Instapot nuts. You love your Instapot. You tweet about Instapot. You Instagram Instapot, right? You tell us the recipes. I don't care about your recipes, but I'm glad you do. Did you know the average amount of time that we spend working each week has not changed in decades? Yeah, we think that, and I thought, I was surprised by that, maybe you are too, that our, our amount of time we work hasn't changed in decades. In fact, our grandparents work 12 hours more a week than we do now. Yeah, we think, I'm thinking, man, we, people were working many, many more hours. Interesting. So what's really going on? Are we, actually, are we actually as busier than we've ever been before? Or do, just, do we just feel busier? Has our relationship with time changed? See, I know that, that what it's like to feel busy. I understand busy. I get it. I'm in one of those environments where I get busy. But what I didn't initially realize was in the midst of the busy, in the midst of my busy, there was several factors that played involved, that were involved to cause my busyness. I want to show you what I discovered in my own experience, my own research. I came up with five top reasons why we're so busy. Here they are. I'll explain them later as I read them first. Number one, busyness as a badge of honor. Busyness as a job, as job security. Busyness, number three, as a byproduct of the digital age. Four, busyness as necessity. Five, busyness as an escape. Busyness as a badge of honor. Here's where we glorify busy. The glorification of busy. To show our importance, to show our value, to show our self-worth in our fast-paced society, we always say, I'm busy. Because we think being busy means I'm important. Because I got phone calls to make. I got places to go. I got people to meet. I've got money to make, right? And we figure that saying how busy we are and acting so busy makes me important, makes me good, makes me better than you that are lazy, right? And so we glorify busyness. Then busyness as a job security. It's an outward sign of productivity and, and, and company loyalty, we figure, I better be loyal if I want to keep this job. And there's some companies who demand it. 
They demand you take work home. They demand that you sign and live your life for the company. And you're a company man and a company woman. And if, if you don't toe the line, if you don't act busy, look busy, talk busy, you can't have a job here. And your job might be in jeopardy. So we act busy because we know, we feel like we need job security. Business as a product of our digital age and, and our 24-7 connected culture is blurring the line between what? Between life and work promoting constant multitasking and never turning off. We have six, seven different sounds that we know what they mean. This beep means I got an Instagram post. This means uh, I got a, a text message. This means I've got somebody get, inviting me on this and that. And we have all these bill, bells and whistles we're connected to, and we know what every one of them mean. Four, business as a necessity. We get this, multiple jobs to make ends meet while you've got children at home. Man, single moms, single dads, people that got to work hard and you got to go through these temporary seasons where we got to do whatever it takes to get this done. We get that. And number five, busyness as an escape. My life is a mess. I've got too much pain to stop. I've got too much pain to be idle. I've got too much pain to, to, to not to, to listen to my own mind. I've got to stay busy. Got the computer on. You got the music on. You got the TV on. Alexa is confused. <laughs> All right already, she wants to say. Choose something. You don't have to have everything on, but you're afraid. Everything's open, right? Everything's, everything's there because of the pain in your own heart. Wow. For me, I've always wanted to do my best work. And in the past, I, I, I've been completely willing to sacrifice my life to do best. In the beginning, when my call was new and a uh, young pastor, whatever it took, I, I need to be faithful to the call and, and I need to do whatever it takes. And no matter what, I'm going to be doing my best. And I put in crazy hours at work because I was afraid if I didn't do my best, there was this fear of failure in my soul. There was this fear that I would disappoint somebody. So I kept on working. Listen very carefully. Is it your world that's busy? Or is it your mind that's busy? Now, when I wrote that phrase down, I, I, I really, it, it grabbed a hold of me. Wow. Is it your world that's really that busy? Or is it your mind that's busy? We always say how busy we are, but we need to remember we're the ones that set our schedule and make our agenda. We need to understand we're the ones that filled up our lives with the things that it's filled up with. We can't blame somebody else. We're the ones that we set our schedules. We're the ones that we deem what's a priority, what's important, and what we will do. Our own Stephanie Roberts, Pastor Josh his wife, crunched some numbers to give us perspective. I heard her do this, and I'm going to take a moment today to, to, to repeat this. Uh, I give her credit for this because she's the one who did the numbers. She first did it for her own life to check out her own level of busyness, and she wanted to help the young adults of our church understand and put this all in perspective. So let me give this to you today. I believe it'll be a great help to you. It's just how we choose to spend our time. Hours in the year, 8,760. We all have the same amount. I don't have more than you. You don't have less than me. 
We all have the same amount. We all start with the same, the same level, right? We all start in the same place, 8,760 hours in a year. Let's say you worked 40 hours. Some work less, some work more. For kicks and giggles, let's say you worked 40 hours and you worked for 52 weeks and you had perfect attendance, good for you, and you worked all the time, took no sick days, no vacation, there was no snow days, and you worked all that time. That is 23% of your time for that year. Let's say you sleep seven hours a night, and every night, like a baby, seven hours, 365 days, even that is close to 30% of your time. So you commute to work, and you 30 minutes one way, so an hour altogether, um, five days a week, that's close to 3% of your time. Maybe your commute is an hour each way. That's two hours. So that'll be close to 6% of your time. So 23% of your time working, almost 30% of your time sleeping, 3 to 6% of your time commuting. Let's talk about church. 70-minute service, most times. <laughs> 52 weeks, 52 weekends, right? Perfect attendance. You deserve a badge and a medal. I'm having perfect attendance this year, right? And you put in the perfect time for 52 weekends. You know what that is? 0.69% of your time. The average person goes to church two weekends a month. 0.35% of your time. Life groups, man, I'm getting into life groups this year. I'm going to do it. I'm doing both semesters, right? Maybe three hours uh, a life group, sometimes less. But let's say three hours for, for sake for, for this discussion. You do the spring uh, semester and the fall semester, and you do it, um, and you don't miss one time every other week. That's 0.41%. You say, I'm going for it this year. I'm going to get on a dream team. Man, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to be involved, and I'm going to do, serve two times a month and two services that particular Sunday that I serve. And, and you put all that time in, that's 0.82% of your time. Add all that together, and you're just a little over 2% of your time connecting. Let's say you spend an hour with God in your day having your devotions, reading your Bible, spending time with God, and you do it 365 days, you don't miss a day. That's 4% of your time. Altogether, if you've never missed church and never missed a life group and never missed a dream team and never ever missed your time with God, that's a whopping a little over 6% of your time. Wow. Less than 10% of your time is spent in community and connection with your Heavenly Father. The average adult spends 2.5 hours a day on their apps on their phone, which is 10.2% of your year. We spend more time on our cell phones than we do in community, but we're too busy to connect. Too busy, pastor. Too busy, team leader. Too busy, God. You understand. It's really sad. We're so overwhelmed by life. 
We're so overwhelmed by how we so long to be free. We're so frustrated. We're so like, what in the world? How come I can't get over this hump? And I, I want a better marriage and I want to be a better man and I want to be a better husband and I want to be a better young adult and I want to be this professional that honors God and has integrity and character and, and so forth. I want to connect, but we would rather spend time on our cell phones. And that 10% of our time doesn't even include television, Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon Prime. <laughs> that estimation is five to seven hours a day. Listen, I get it. These numbers are uncomfortable. I get it. I went there. I get it. It's difficult. It was difficult when I understood it. It's like, whoa, really? Now these numbers, listen, I didn't say all this to put condemnation on you, to make you feel bad, to make you feel like, man, I, I thought I was a loser already. Thank you, pastor. You really edified me today. I'm not going there. That's not why I have no condemnation to give you, right? Amen. It's a reality check. It's a reality check based on guardrails, based on vision, based on what God said for us to do this year, based on the fact that we need to have the courage to deal with this. This is society. This is our culture. This stands in the way of God's highest and best. Amen. We are believing a lie that we are too busy. And the enemy has deceived us into thinking, you don't have time for this. You don't have time for this. Shut him off. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to that preacher. He has no idea what you go through on a regular basis. He has no idea what you're dealing with. Amen. When the truth is you can't afford not to make time for this. Amen. Thank you for those two weekend claps. You can't afford to not commit yourself to the house of God that God planted you in. You can't afford not to commit yourself to a life group and a place where you can go and where you can be honest and open and say, man, I'm a mess. I need prayer. You guys better help me. I need somebody to walk through this crazy season with me right now. You can't afford not to be part of a dream team where your gifts are discovered and celebrated and you're able to give of yourself and serve somebody else and make somebody else's life better. Amen. We can't afford not to go down this road. We can't afford not to be able to say yes to these things. If we allow the enemy to continue to lie to us, we will remain unhealthy. We will remain weak and immature and be eventually become bitter, jaded, and cynical more and more every year. And we cry out, God, where are you? Jesus, I can't find you. Don't you care? You know the thoughts that are crazy going around and around in circles in my mind. You know how unhealthy I am right now. Where are you? Why don't you come and help me? Why don't you come and be there for me? Amen. And we wonder what in the world's going on, and we would rather spend more time on our cell phone. I said it. I went there than we would connecting with God and our community. Now, I understand. I get it. I said it before. I understand what I said was challenging. I understand what it said is a woo. But it, the mandate before us is challenging to us. Absolutely. The courage to connect. The mandate this year is the courage to say yes. Have the courage to say yes to connection. 
We say next, when we say yes to connection, what are we saying yes to? We're saying yes to connecting to more of God and his word on a daily basis. What are we saying yes to? We're saying yes to walking by faith and not by sight. We're saying yes to a deeper connection with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're saying yes to the help you finally need to be free. You're saying help, uh, yes to attending or leading a life group. You're saying less to more community, more friendships, more relationships. You're saying yes to the freedom that Christ died for you to walk in. You're saying yes to serving on a dream team. You're saying yes to simply taking that next step, whatever it is, in your spiritual journey that we want to be there and help you with. So you have a choice. You have a choice. You can choose a busy life or you can choose a full life. Here's the difference. A busy life is when you allow your schedule to rule you. You know what happens. You never catch up. Never catch up. Never get it all done. The faster you go, I'll go do, I'll I'll stay up later. I'll I'll wake up earlier. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. That's a busy life. When you allow your schedule to rule you, what's a full life? Is when you intentionally identify what matters most and eliminate what doesn't. Our family doesn't have it all together. But my wife and I have purpose to kick busy life to the curb. We're working harder and harder to identify what really matters and eliminate what doesn't matter. Working hard to say, I get a full life. I, I, I live on a full life. I've lived all my life a full life. But I'm trying to understand the difference between a busy life and what happens in my brain, what happens in my anxiety, what happens in my worry and my doubts, what happens that opens the door when I'm... <gasps> busy all the time and my mind is racing and I've got to get it all done versus really prioritizing. Everything in life has a natural value. Everything in life has an eternal value. We'll always have things in our life that are natural value. Amen. And we need more in our life that has eternal value. I submit to you, it's like this. We've got more natural value in our lives than we do eternal value. And we need to make some adjustments to bring some rhythm in our lives, to recognize what really matters. I don't want to be your wild success on things that didn't really matter. We need life. We need natural things. You got to pay the mortgage. You got to put food on the table. You got you to do things. You got to purchase. Get it. Absolutely. All there. God knows that too. But don't forget about eternal value. Don't forget about what matters for eternity. Here's what I've learned. The larger the family, the more intentional you have to be in connecting. My mother is one of 12 children. Can imagine how many cousins I have. Oh my goodness. How many second cousins? Who knows how many cousins I have? Are you a cousin? I go to family events and I, who are you? I've got more cousins. Christmas time, they got to rent a, a ballroom to have Christmas together. Family reunions are amazing. But you know what? The larger the family, the more you have to be intentionally about getting together, don't you? Because there's more of you and you spread out all over the place. Amen. You just don't want it to be funerals where you get together all the time. You understand that. 
Well, IFC is getting larger. We're not going to get any smaller. We give all the, all the honor and glory to God for that. But while we get larger, it's my responsibility to make sure we put things in place where we become smaller. As we get larger this year, I want to get smaller this year. This year, our emphasis will be small groups and your freedom. Think about that. What would happen if you got free this year? What would happen if you no longer had those addictions? What would happen if you finally got along with your wife? What would happen if you finally got free from that hurt, that rejection? What would happen if you finally were no longer as insecure? What would happen if those fears were not there no longer? What would happen if you had less anxiety attacks? What would happen if, if you really got free this year? How would that increase the quality of your life? How much better would you be if you really said yes to freedom and said yes to connection and said yes to God's highest and best? What would that do for you? I have a couple I've been working with and the husband was crazy addicted to pornography. Oh my goodness. Kept it from his wife. She didn't know. He finally told her she was devastated. Am I not good enough? Am I not pretty enough? Is something wrong with me? I can't measure up. What's going on here? Finally, out of desperation, they came to see me. And we put some things in place and we began to minister to them. And I'm one of his accountability partners and, and so forth. And, and she forgave him and he asked for forgiveness. And there was a beautiful spirit of, of forgiveness and, and so forth. And, and the good news is they've never been more in love. They've never been freer. And he's free for the first time since he was 12 years old. But imagine if he kept that secret. Imagine if he never told his wife. Imagine then kids come. Pass it on to your son. Pass it on to others. Imagine what would happen if they didn't say yes. If he didn't say yes. If she didn't say yes. What would happen? What I love about this last verse, I know my time is over. Pray for me that I don't get long-winded more this year. But my excuse is Vision Sunday. <laughs> Psalm 65, thank you, I will. Psalm 65, 11, it's a carryover from last year. It meant something totally different to me last year. It meant something totally different to this congregation last year. You heard it before. You crowned the year with a bountiful harvest. This last part now really makes sense. Even what? The hard pathways. What did James say? This is going to be hard work. What I say in the beginning, this is the most challenging thing we've ever done. But look what James tells us, that even the hard pathways overflow with what? Abundance. abundance. Yeah. Wouldn't you love to have more abundance in your life? Yeah. I see that abundance. I don't think money. I think freedom. And abundance of freedom. This is your year to be free. This is your year to be open. This is your year to say, I need help. This is your year to connect. This is your year to say, yes, I want my hard places, those areas that I've never been free in. My secrets are killing me. I'm overwhelmed by life. I'm overwhelmed by my fears. I'm overwhelmed by my insecurities. I'm so depressed. I, I don't want to even share the crazy thoughts I think on a regular basis. I'm so unhealthy. And he tells us even the hard pathways. Even your soul, even your marriage, even your kids, even your life, even your future, amen, can overflow with an abundance of freedom. That's God's will. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose for us this year. That's what he wants to do. 
That's what he wants to do. This is your year of an abundance of freedom. So I challenge you. I challenge you to be brave. I challenge you to put your big boy pants on this year and be willing to say yes. When's the last time you had dinner as a family, all of you around the table at the same time? When's the last time you had a family meeting to go over issues in the house and adjustments that need to be made and, and we're not doing so good as parents and we need to, we need to, we're sorry, we need to work these things out. When's the last time you went out on, you and your wife all by yourselves, all alone and had a beautiful time together? When's the last time you dads took your daughters out on a date? When's the last time you, you fathers took your son out on an event? See, that's the kind of year this needs to be. When's the last time you took somebody of a different ethnic background out to dinner? Yeah, I'm going there. I'm going there. When's the last time you heard somebody else's story that was very different than yours? When's the last time you heard somebody's story about how they immigrated and how they're believing God and what they have to deal with? When's the last time you took the time not to judge, but to listen? The hard work of having a robust community. I went to a naturalization ceremony recently, just a, last week. Two of our partners, I, didn't, I knew about one, I didn't know about the other, became citizens. I rejoiced with them. I can't tell you how proud I was of them. One a Russian, one a Mexican. Becoming a United States citizen. I tell you how joyful that experience was. I've been to three, and every time I go, I'm, I'm moved by, by, this, by their lives. I, I could go on and on about these things, and the stories I hear of people coming through line who has an interview or looking, believing for their green card, or all on and on it goes. Wow, what a privilege it is yes. to have a church like we have. Amen. I'm so honored to pastor immigrants. Amen. I'm so honored that we get to do this together. I mean that. From the bottom of my heart, I mean that. All right, let's stand so I'll stop. If you stand, that encourages me to quit. Will you raise your hands towards heaven? Wow, we threw a lot at you today. I don't understand. We have a whole year to work this out. We've got to start somewhere. And Father, we raise our hands today, asking you for the courage to say yes. That means so many different things to so many different people. I get it. The courage to take a step. The courage to connect. The courage to reconnect. The courage to go deeper in our connection. We raise our hands to you, Father, knowing this is going to be hard for some people. It's going to be easier for others. But nonetheless, we do it together. We recognize that the pastor can't do it by himself. The leadership can't do it by themselves. That we all need to do this. I'm not going to be dragging you along this year. I don't drag. I lead. I don't drag people. We lead people. If you want to follow, I'm believing with you that together we can make a big difference. 
Together we can go deeper. Together we can be freer. Together we can build a robust community. And we experience wonderful community here, but it's not near what it needs to be. Yes. Yes. Now, Father, I release the spirit of courage in this room. I release bravery in this room. I release your spirit that says I will not be denied. I will not back down just because it's hard. I will not say I'm too busy ever again. I will recognize and realize there might be things in my life that make me full and I have to adapt and adjust and plan. But Father, I am not going to allow my schedule, my mind, my thoughts, my fears, my anxiety, my hopelessness to stand in the way. So if you're willing, receive now a spirit of courage in your life. Receive it by faith. The Spirit of God is here. And we release courage over you now in the name of Jesus. And here's what I hear in my spirit. I hear, if you'll obey me, if you'll trust me, I'll take you where you can't see. For you see, I see around the bend. I see what's over the mountain. I see what's ahead for you. I see what you can't see. And if you'll say yes, we will navigate together, side by side. I'll hold your hand. I'll even carry you, says the Lord. If you'll just be willing to say yes to my will and my plan. You see, I would never embarrass you. I would never lead you to a place that would harm you. I would never overwhelm you. I'm not that kind of father. I only have your best in mind. I see what's around the bend. I see what's been established for you since the beginning of time. I know and I understand and I perceive what you do not. So if you'll put your trust in me and let me lead you and guide you by my spirit, you'll be so glad. You'll be so happy. You'll be so blessed because I will guide you in the way that you should go. And I will show you step after step after step. Oh yes, this walks, this walk is a walk of faith. I can't show you the whole picture, but I'll show you the next step. And I'll give light where light is necessary. And I'll illuminate the next step for you and show you without a shadow of a doubt that you can trust me if you'll walk step in step with me. Yes, this could be your best year. Yes, this could be the best version of you. Yes, yes, yes. You could step into more and more of my plan for you if you'll just say yes. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Raise your hands towards heaven today. Receive that by faith today. Let that sink in your heart right now. I receive that, Lord. I receive it in Jesus' name. You say, Pastor, I've not connected with Jesus yet. There's no other better connection. There's no ultimate connection than to connect with your Lord, your Savior, the one who died for you, the one who shed his blood for you, the one who suffered for you, the one who rose from the dead for you. The ultimate of all connections is to say yes. Have the courage to say yes to Jesus. 
yes to him as your Lord and Savior, the one who will forgive you, the one who loves you, the one who wants you to have eternal life, a brand new beginning here on earth. All it takes is the courage to say yes. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for those of you that want to say yes. Not to embarrass you, not to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to do any of those things. I want you to be intentional and say, that's me. I'm ready to say yes today. I'm ready for your highest and best today. I want prayer today. Pray for me, Pastor. If that's you, will you raise your hand nice and high, please? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. I see it. Bless you. Thank you. I see it. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You can put your hand down over there. Yes, I see it. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, I see it in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. Man, this never gets tiring. From my view, to see those hands go up and the looks on your faces and knowing you're stepping into that next step for your life. Good for you. Oh, my goodness. Man, we had all kind of hands raised up throughout this service today. Wow. Wow. Anybody else before I pray? I'm ready. What am I saying ready to? Just declaring him as your Lord. He's the one who forgives you from your sin. He's the one that opens the door to your salvation. And heaven becomes your home when you get in right standing with God. You can't do this by yourself. You gotta say yes to the one who can help you. He's the miracle worker. Anybody else before I pray? Say this with me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, here's my heart. It's the real me. I need you. I can't do this by myself. Jesus, I say yes to forgiveness. Forgive me. Forgive me from my sin. I say yes to eternal life. I say yes to salvation. You are my Lord and my Savior. I surrender under your Lordship. You're the boss from this day forward. Thank you for changing me from the inside out. Today's a brand new day. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God praise this morning, this afternoon. Amen. Thanks for listening. To stay connected, check out intlfamilychurch.com or follow us on Instagram. Our mission at International Family Church is to help you know God for yourself, to find freedom in your life, to discover your God-given purpose, and help you make a difference in the lives of those around you. One of the easiest ways you can help us do that is simply by sharing this podcast and connecting with us online. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening.